Our scripture this morning comes from Luke 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brian. Well, good morning again. It is, it is a real privilege to be back here this week. Uh, we uh, had a week of vacation at the Outer Banks, and, uh, which was a fun time until the, the tropical storm came. Uh, and then we went to General Assembly, which was a lot of fun until we began to debate. Um, <laughs> If you want to know what General Assembly is like, imagine a very long, uh, long, long, long meeting of three hours that turned into three or four days. That's what it was like. But there was a lot of fellowship and stuff, worship in the middle uh, that I'll tell you about on another day. Today I want us to dive in to this parable, these two parables that Jesus gives to us. I want to start off by, by just telling you what the five most dreaded words are that a husband can say to his wife. You know what they are? Honey, I bought a boat. <laughs> Honey, I bought a boat. I had a friend that came home one day and that's what he told his wife. Honey, I bought a boat and a motorcycle. You did what? Well, I went to sell the truck, you know, and yes, for cash. Well, I traded it instead for a boat and a motorcycle. We don't live on the water. And I said, you can never have a motorcycle. I bought a boat. I went and looked at my friend's boat because I grew up on a lake. I grew up around boats, and he wanted me to inspect it for him. And I said, well, first... Um, the first problem is that your engine doesn't run. And, and listen, on the outside, it was a beautiful boat. It was a, uh, an old correct craft uh, ski boat. Beautiful, beautiful boat on the outside. I said, but first, you, your, your engine doesn't run. I mean, you can tell. I mean, the, the valve cover gaskets are off. There's scarring. It's, it's, it's messed up. You, you got to replace the engine. Oh. Second, you see where the shaft comes down from the engine, the propeller shaft? Is that what that is? 
Yeah. You see, you see that gaping hole right there? That gaping hole ought to be about this big. I said, Robbie, that boat won't float. That boat just won't float. So why does Jesus give these two parables to these people at this time and to us today? It's because the people of that time had created a religious system that was like a boat that won't float. It might look good on the outside, but it just won't float. It won't get you where you want to go. Jesus gave them these two parables for them, but also for us. So we're going to ask ourselves the question, does our boat float? Before we look at the, the two parables, we have to look back at the reason the two parables were given. For example, you look at verse 18 and he said, he said, therefore, whenever you see the words, therefore, you have to stop and ask, what are they there for? So we back up to verses 10 to 17 and we see what the, the, the parables were, were there for. The ruler of the synagogue and the people of that time had a religious boat that just wouldn't float. It was a boat that was built on a, on a law, a generational law, not a biblical law, but a generational law, generations of traditions that had been handed down from uh, father to father to father to father, from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, from Pharisee to Pharisee, over a period of generations. And so what the guy is giving them on that day is just more of the same, but it's a boat that won't float. Does your boat float? Jesus steps into the synagogue, which was his habit when he steps into a new city. He steps into the synagogue and he begins to preach. And as he's speaking and teaching, a woman is, is there in front of him that is bent over for 18 years. Now we know that Satan had something to do with that as we look down into the passage a little deeper. Satan had something to do with her disability. We don't know how bent over she was. Was she doubled over? Was she bent over like this? We don't know. But, but if you can imagine the pain that had to be racking her body, her back, her, her legs, her hips, her neck. I mean, what's going on with her that she just can't look up? She's doubled over for 18 years. She had been like that. Jesus calls her to him. He didn't step over there. He calls her to him. In other words, he calls her up front where he is teaching so that everybody can see it. And then he says to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. What beautiful words. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And how did she react? She glorified God. I want you to put yourself in that place. Think of the pain that you might be having in some part of your life. Now stretch it out for 18 years, and you've been living in it, and you've probably come to accept it and think, I'm going to have this pain, relational pain, emotional pain, physical pain. I'm going to have this pain as long as I live on this earth. And then this one steps into the picture, and he says, woman, you're free from your disability. And he lays his hands on you and you can stand up straight. Had a friend that, that was an elder in a church that I pastored years ago. He was 84 at the time. He was about six foot four when he stood up straight, but he couldn't stand up straight. He walked with a cane like this. Um, he was an elder emeritus, so he had stopped coming to session meetings. 
He was a grouchy, uh, cantankerous, which is a word from South Alabama that means just really sarcastic, mean, and nasty. Um, and so he was that kind of a guy. Uh, I kid you not, this is a true story. He controlled the finances of the church to such a degree that no, degree that no one even knew where they were invested. And he wouldn't tell them. He had investments, he had property that the church owned that nobody knew where it was because he didn't trust him. He came to me one day and he said, you know, Harrison, you're the first pastor I've ever met that, that admitted he was a sinner, which I know wasn't true. I know it wasn't because I know the pastors that had been there before, but God had laid his hands on this gentleman's heart, so to speak, and said, and so to speak, just, he said, you're free from your disability. As we talked, he came to know Christ. And instead of walking like this with his cane, he was straightened up for the first time in years and he began to carry his cane. And from a guy that sat on the very back row, no offense to those in the back row, um, he moved all the way down to the front, much to the dismay of his wife. Because he was madly in love with this Jesus that he had not met before at 84. This woman is experiencing that sort of freedom. She's amazed, she's glorified, she's excited. Life is new for her. And yet into, into that mix steps uh, 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 the ruler of the synagogue. And it says he is indignant, indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he says to the people, not to Jesus, but to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath. What a killjoy. I mean, you want a party pooper? This is the guy. The woman is standing up straight and smiling and rejoicing for the first time in 18 years, and he has to rain on her parade. Jesus looks at him, and he, he doesn't say, you hypocrite, which was singular. He says, you hypocrites, plural. So he's speaking to the ruler of the synagogue, but he's speaking to all those that have accepted that same rule of law, that same attitude, that same constraint, that, strength, that same legalism, that same broken boat that just won't float. And he says to all of them, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, in other words, one of your own, one of your own family members, Shall not this daughter, this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? All his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. I want you to notice that this ruler of the synagogue gave a, a, a plausible argument from the law. In other words, there was some twist of truth to it, right? Should we work on the Sabbath? Well, Scripture's pretty clear on that. We ought not to be working on the Sabbath. Scripture's pretty clear there. But they have so twisted it to mean that you can't even heal. There's no mercy on the Sabbath, which is not what the commandment taught. Jesus reminded, look, you take your donkey, you take your oxen to water. You care for your animals. You care for your dogs and your cats. You care for everything. But this woman, but a human, you're not going to care for her. 
It was a legalist. It was a legalist that used an argument which had some bearing of truth, but was applied without that great commandment to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It was without wisdom. It was without the love of God. It was without, without the grace of God. It was without the mercy of God. There was no compassion at all in the synagogue ruler's statements. Jesus' charge of hypocrites went beyond just the ruler of the synagogue. What does the word hypocrite mean? The word hypocrite can apply to each and every one of us. Me, you, all of us, in some small ways and sometimes in huge ways. The word literally means pretender or play actor. So you could look at someone that's, that's a, an actor in a movie, an actor in a play, and, and, and say, you're a hypocrite. I wouldn't advise it, but you could. You're a play actor. You're a pretender. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're just a pretender. You're pretending that you've got a relationship with me. You're pretending that what you're doing and the way you're living your life is going to bring you closer to God and give you God's approval. And it's just acting. It's not true. It's not who you are. They really didn't care about the daughters of Abraham. They're pretending to love God and love people, but in reality, they just love themselves. And they love the stuff that their religion gives them. Their religion gave them control. Their religion gave them wealth. The ruler of the synagogue and those with him would have had wealth. Their religion gives them power. Religion gives them fame. It's very interesting that those are the same idols that we struggle with all around the world today in 2021. Wealth, fame, power, control, the same things. Nothing new under the sun. They were relying on that religion to bring them closer to God, but doing it without compassion. Look in, in Colossians 3 and verse 12. This is what, what, what Paul, the Apostle Paul, says to the people of Colossae. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So I want you to catch something there. There's an indicative and an imperative that's coming. The indicative says this is, this is what it, the passage indicates. This indicates who you are. Chosen ones, holy, beloved. Okay? That's the indicative. Following an indicative is an imperative. Because you are chosen ones, holy, beloved, live like this. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. And patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, above all those, put on love. So there's an active role in the Christian that puts on, that takes up these things, hearts of compassion and humility and patience and meekness, bearing with one another and forgiving each other as God has forgiven you. So just as God has forgiven you, to that degree, you forgive one another. And above all these things, you put on love. These things were missing in the synagogue on that day. And yet those are the things that are, that are part and parcel of the Christian's life once they become believers in Jesus Christ. The religion that they had didn't result in love for God or love for his people. What these parables are teaching us what Jesus is saying is in effect 
this kingdom, this kingdom that you, you pretend to be a part of, that, that kingdom, it's not your kingdom. It's not your kingdom. It's my kingdom. You didn't create God. God created you. You and I didn't create God. God created us. You didn't create the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, Jesus tells us, not man for the Sabbath. The kingdom doesn't belong to you, ruler of the synagogue. It doesn't belong to you, people of EP. It doesn't belong to me. The kingdom doesn't belong to us. It's not our kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And as his kingdom, as those created in his image, he makes the rules about what his kingdom's going to be like. He makes the rules about how we come to him and how we live in him and love in him and how we rejoice in him, how we have compassionate hearts one for another because it's his kingdom and not our kingdom. He makes the rules and designs how it's going to be. Any kingdom we would create, it would be a boat that just won't float. What God gives to us lasts forever. So Jesus speaks into this manipulative brokenness with the gospel, the good news. Two parables here, the mustard seed and the leaven. Let's unpack them one at a time. They're they're about different things. They might seem like they're the same, but they're different. The mustard seed is about breadth of the kingdom and refuge, okay? Breadth, breadth of the kingdom and, and refuge. Verse 18, Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. So not a little bitty plant, but a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So it's a big tree, and the birds of the air make nests in its branches. Unbelievably small. The mustard seed is about the smallest seed you can have. I mean, there's some seeds that are smaller, but it's about the smallest seed you can have. And it grows into this huge tree, so huge that the birds of the air, and what the Greek teaches us here, we lose it in the translation, is that it means that all the birds of the air, all different kinds of birds of the air, so not just, not just dove and not just blue jays, but all the different kinds of birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So what Jesus is saying is that, look, my kingdom is different than the way you've designed it. You don't care about the woman with a disability. You don't care about those who don't perform. You don't care about those that are Gentiles. You don't care about those that are of other countries. You care about just you, just the Jews that can keep the law as you have written it. That's not my kingdom, Jesus is teaching them. My kingdom is bigger. My kingdom has breadth. And my kingdom is about refuge. It's about having shade and shelter, a home for the birds of the air, for all the people that I've created, every tongue, nation, and tribe, all kinds. I was looking out my kitchen window one day a couple of months ago, and I saw a bird that I'd never seen before uh, live, except in a cage at a zoo or something. I saw a peregrine falcon, which was just so cool for me because I love birds. And he was, he was perched on top of, of the, um, the rack that holds my bird feeder in the front yard. But he had this laser-like focus on the holly tree, uh, maybe four or five feet away. I mean, I'm standing behind a glass. He doesn't even know I'm there. But he just focused on this holly tree. And I look inside the holly tree a little bit closer, and there's a dove in there. 
and that dove is looking at the falcon, and the falcon's looking at that dove. That falcon's thinking, come out in your lunch. That dove's thinking, if I stay in here, I'm safe. I've got refuge. And that's what happens. This is what birds do when a falcon's swooping down. They don't land in the grass and say, come and get me, right? They, they, they fly into a tree, and they hide in the tree within the branches of the tree where they can have refuge. That's what Jesus is telling these rulers of the synagogue and all the people that are there. In me, there's refuge for all kinds of people. Come to me and have safety. We read it in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me and you'll find rest. That's where the kingdom of God is. Who gets to be a part of that kingdom of God? Well, it's people like the woman that had been uh, disabled for 18 years. It's people like Mephibosheth, the, the, um, the son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul, who was lame, couldn't walk, uh, couldn't make a living. He was uh, ostracized. He would have been a threat to the next kings, kings like David. David says, come and bring him to me. And, and lets Mephibosheth put his feet under David's table and says, this is where you're going to be forever. It's people like Mephibosheth, people that in that culture did not matter, maybe in this culture, don't matter, and you push aside. And Jesus says, nope, come and put your feet under my table. It's people like Cornelius, a Roman centurion, that's on the outside looking in and maybe a threat to you or to me or to these people. And Jesus says, nope, come on in. It's the woman caught in adultery that according to the law could be stoned. And Jesus says, come on in. It's people like you. It's people like me. That if it was left up to our performance, would never see the kingdom of God. Because that boat won't float. But it's left out to the performance of Jesus Christ, and he cries out on the, on the cross to tell us, die. It is finished. Because what he did mattered, and it was enough. The second parable is the parable of the leaven, whereas the first parable of the mustard seed is about breadth and refuge. The second parable is about depth and transformation. Depth and transformation. In other words, Jesus is saying here, look, you can, it, it, the, the, the kingdom of God is going to get large, and that's okay. It's good. But he's not saying it's going to be large and shallow. It's not going to be a, a, a mile wide and an inch deep. He's saying there's going to be breadth and refuge, but there's also going to be depth and transformation. He gives us the parable of the leaven. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So what would have happened, she would have taken a gallon or so, maybe a couple of gallons of yeast, and she would have mixed it in what we would call about 50 pounds of flour. And as she mixes it in and kneads it all up, and then she leaves it to rise, and it would grow bigger than the blob in that old horror movie from when I was a kid. I mean, it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. It gets huge. And it works its way through every little bit of the bread. There's no bit of that flour that is not impacted by that leaven. No bit of flour. There's no part of your life and my life, no part of the church that is not to be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it goes, the kingdom of God goes deep, deep, deep and works throughout all the parts 
of the church and all the parts of our lives. So in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, there is a complete transformation. It's not that he takes what you have and makes it a little better, a better version of the old man. That's not what he does. It's everything is made new. It's a different world. In Romans, in, in chapter 12, Paul says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed, be new. My friends, that's a boat that floats. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to a different place. Let me give you a picture, if I can, of what that difference looks like from C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. Lewis says, imagine yourself as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You know that those jobs need doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. And he doesn't, it doesn't need to seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here and putting on an extra floor there. Running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. What God is building in you is something far greater than you or I could ever imagine. Let's fast forward. What, is, what does this mean for us? What does the, the woman's life mean for us? What, are, what do the two parables mean for us? We're going to look at it in two ways. One, we're going to look at it as, as going back and remembering, and then we're going to look at it as going forward to where we're called. Go back to verse 10 to 17, and you see there were negative ones, there, was, and there were the positive ones, and there was a third. There was the woman that was in need of Jesus' healing. My friends, th- there's times in, in my life uh, and in yours where we're really a lot like the ruler of the synagogue, aren't we? Yes, we are. I am. I am, and I know that you are too, because we're human. We're in need of Jesus and his grace, his ever, ever transforming grace. We need that. I need it. So to the negative one, to the ruler of the synagogue, to the one that, like me, that are sometimes more, more judgmental than we are gracious, we need to remember. Remember whose we are. Remember whose we are. Beloved, chosen, holy, called by God. Remember whose you are. Repent of the judgmental hearts and rejoice. The second would be the woman. The woman in need of Jesus' healing. Going back and looking at her. Maybe you're in that place this morning, and maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual, and you just feel bent over, and the pain is there. The pain in your heart, which can be so much more debilitating than the pain in the body, and you're wondering if you're going to have that pain for the rest of your life. Anybody besides me been there? Yeah. My friends, I can't promise that there's physical healing for you. I can't. But I can promise that Jesus Christ cares. 
and that he's compassionate. And he would call to you and say, come to me, and I will give you rest. And lay the pain of your heart and the pain of your past and lay it at his feet. Take the anxiety that haunts your sleep and put it in his hands. And let the peace that passes all understanding come to you and transform you by his amazing grace. There's a third group in the past, verse 10 to 17, and that's those that are amazed. It is so easy for us, especially here in the West, to focus on the rough stuff, the hard stuff, the pain, the betrayals, the aches, the broken relationships, the lack of love, the things that aren't as we want them to be. It's so easy to focus on those things and miss Jesus. In her, in her book, Suffering Isn't for Nothing, Elizabeth Elliot defines suffering this way. She said, it's not having what you want or having what you don't want. So it could be huge and it could be small. It's easy to focus on those things. Don't lose the amazement. Don't lose the amazement. Don't lose the glory of Jesus Christ in your life. Remember, rejoice and press on. Remember the amazement. So you fast forward, what does it mean for us? We go back and we look at verse 10 to 17, but there's also going forward to where he's called us. We're called to worship Christ first, not to worship a boat that's broken, not to worship the, the law and the legalism and, the, and the, the getting it right. That's a broken boat that just won't float. We worship Christ and Christ first and Christ alone. We're called to love, to love God and love his people. We're called to transformation. We're called to transformation. Jesus Christ has not called us to be a mile wide and an inch deep. He's called us to be a mile wide and a mile deep. We're called to ambition. There's nothing wrong with ambition in the church. But let's make sure it's a gospel-driven ambition, a gospel ambition of breadth and depth, of size and transformation. They are not mutually exclusive. The kingdom of God will be broad, and the kingdom of God will be depth, deep, and he calls that to be the case in each one of us as well as in his church, and we're called to faith. Do you get discouraged? you ever get discouraged? I get discouraged. Life can be discouraging. Work can be discouraging. That's why sometimes I, I build things with wood. And I, I work on engines and I work on my own brakes and stuff on the car because when I, when I fix it, it's fixed. Ministry doesn't work like that. <laughs> you ever get discouraged? You ever get discouraged in relationships with your family? Do you? Or with brothers and sisters in Christ? You ever get discouraged with your finances? My friends, it's easy to become discouraged, but don't, don't give up. Don't stay disabled with your head facing down. Turn your eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. You for the joy set before him, scorn the cross. Set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before Jesus was his relationship with God the Father and his relationship with you. Keep your eyes on him. We're called to faith in him. Finally, remember whose kingdom it is. Not your kingdom. 
It's not your kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's not our kingdom. If it was, we would totally mess it up. It's God's kingdom. And he will build it. The boat of religion will not float. Let me tell you about a couple of boats that will. In Matthew, in chapter 8, we see Jesus in the boat with his disciples, and he's asleep, and the storm comes up. And the boat's about to capsize, and these, these sailors, some mighty sailing men, you know, they're like the captain and Gilligan. Their boat won't sink. But their boat's about to, to, to capsize, and they're going down. They're sure of it. And they look to Jesus, how can you sleep? Don't you see we're perishing? And Jesus gets up and he calms the wind and the waves. But then he looks at his disciples and he says, oh, you have little faith. My friends, even when the storms of life happen, don't take your eyes off Jesus and don't lose that faith. His is a boat that will float. The second boat that I would leave you with is a boat of Reaper Cheap. Reaper Cheap is one of my heroes. You're thinking, who in the world is Reaper Cheap? If you don't know who Reaper Cheap is, dude, you're missing life. You've got to read the Chronicles of Narnia. In the dawn, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, we come across Reaper Cheap. Reaper Cheap's a little mouse. But oh, what a love and a passion he has for Jesus Christ. He comes to the end. He says, my own plans are made. And while I can, I sail east in the Dawn Treader. That was their ship. And when she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle, which was his own personal little boat. When the dawn treader fails me, I paddle east in my coracle, and when she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. My friends, above all else, have a passion for Jesus Christ that is so great that you will point your nose to the east, that you will point your nose, that you will point your life to Jesus Christ. And even if you lose your life in the middle of it, you will worship Christ to the very end, above all else. Oh, Father, we are in great need of you. Lord, would you even now minister to us? Lord, as you ministered to the woman that was disabled for 18 years, I pray that you would minister to us. Lord, I pray that you would so pour your grace out on us and put your hands upon us as a church and as individuals, as, a, as families. Father, put your hands on us that we may live a new life that you called us to. Father, I pray that we would pursue you as Repachit, that we would pursue you even to the very end of our life, to the very last breath we take, that nothing else on this earth would hold a candle to your beauty in our lives. Father, if there's anyone here that has not yet met you, Lord, even now, I pray that you would change that and they would fall in love with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our creator, and Jesus. Amen.